this can happen on a grand scale, on, on, on the path of your life scale. If your hope is in eternity, if your hope is in what God is going to do, like, I don't know if Jesus has my recipe for Swedish pancakes, but he's saying your reward is great in heaven if your trust is in him and if you are walking this path out of faithfulness for his glory. Today we're continuing our series, Through Jesus' Eyes. And we've been saying that often you find yourself in situations and dealing with problems, and often you can be at a standstill as to how to move forward until someone comes along and helps you to see that problem from a completely different angle. Jesus' words had that kind of impact, and so we have been going back to uh, the teachings that appear in Luke's gospel, particularly uh, uh, centered around chapter 6, and just seeing how they uh, can impact our, our lives, how we see ourselves, and our place in this world. Uh, today, where we're focused is on Jesus' vision for the good life, and how he helps us to, to, to see what it means to be truly blessed. Now, to get us started, uh, Brian Wilkerson uh, describes how uh, our world typically sees the good life and what it means to be blessed. So uh, just a, a, a number of uh, uh, descriptions here. He says, blessed are the rich and famous because they can always get a seat at the best restaurants. Blessed are the good-looking, for they shall appear on the cover of People magazine. Blessed are those who party, for they know how to have fun. Uh, for any NHL uh, Leaf fans here, blessed are those who take first place in the division, for they shall have momentum going into the playoffs. Uh, blessed are the movers and the shakers, for they shall make a name for themselves. Blessed are those who demand their rights, for they shall not be overlooked. Blessed are the healthy and fit, because they... They don't mind being seen in a bathing suit. Blessed are those who make it to the top because they get to look down on everybody else. Now, the, the, that is our cultural starting point for understanding the good life, for, for having this image and vision in our mind of what it means to be blessed. Someone go, growing up in Canada almost can't help but be influenced by this and just subconsciously adopt this as this is... This is the plan. This is the goal. This is what we are all aiming for and looking to uh, experience and achieve. And yet Jesus takes this vision and completely turns it on its head. And in fact, even before you get to Jesus, uh, in between the hashtag blessed Instagram posts that fill our feeds, you can hear people, even in our culture, questioning the narrative questioning whether this is really the goal of life, whether this is uh, the, uh, the path towards blessedness. Uh, take Brad Pitt, for instance, perhaps the, the poster child of uh, the blessed uh, life, the, uh, the good life as our world defines it. He said this, I know all of these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success, but if that's the case, why is there this general feeling out there reflecting more impotence, isolation, desperation, and loneliness? If you ask me, I say, we toss all of this. We've got to find something else. 
because all I know is at this point, we're heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, and I don't want that. On this point, Brad Pitt and Jesus Christ are actually in agreement. And I think that often the church is out of step with both of them. Now, they, they, uh, Brad Pitt doesn't go on from there to give us the, the alternative, the solution, but Jesus points to it in the passage that I want to look at with you this morning. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to 26. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it's on the black church Bible under the rack in the seat in front of you or in one of the seats in front of you. Uh, again, page 810, and I'm going to read from Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 26. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says this. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of God. Now, the first takeaway from this passage is that if following Jesus has meant loss, yearning, tears, or rejection, then it's probably a sign that you're on the right track. Here, the message is that the losses you've endured and the pain that you've felt as a result of your faith are actually confirmations of God's hand of blessing on your life. And these are often the, uh, the conditions under which God works most powerfully in our lives. So if following Jesus has meant loss, yearning, tears, or rejection, that may be evidence that you are on the right track, that you actually have rightly understood what God is seeking to do in your life. Now let's start by clarifying our terms, clarifying what Jesus is talking about here. Now, from verses 20 to 22, Jesus makes four statements about the blessed life. And by blessed here, it's not just talking about happiness with it, which is a state of our feelings, but it is a condition of being favored by God. This is the life upon whom God smiles. It is a sign of God's favor, of God's working in a person's life. And so when we hear that word blessed, that's where we are thinking. We typically think God smiles on the winners, the beautiful people, the influencers, the powerful. But in fact, the, as Jesus described it, he, he sees God smiling on people who are uh, poor, people who are uh, yearning, experiencing uh, uh, tears, people who are excluded. And he is going to walk us through each of them. And again, uh, there, there can be misunderstanding. So uh, first of all, uh, you may have seen, for instance, as you look at verse 20, you may have seen a picture of a homeless person with the caption, blessed are the poor, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It, it, 
that picture or that, uh, that, that kind of combination or vision may uh, have you mis- un- misunderstanding what Jesus is describing here. Uh, it, he is not saying that anyone who is destitute or bankrupt is going to heaven. The message isn't that poverty automatically makes anyone, uh, especially uh, 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 favored with, with God, but the message is that often those difficult circumstances in our lives are the means by which God uses to draw us near, to work in our hearts, to deepen our character, to, to create a, a neediness or a sense of dependence on God that we wouldn't otherwise have. Uh, David uh, it felt this himself as a king. In Psalm 40, verse 17, he said, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the, Lord's t- the Lord takes thought for me. Uh, king David is not saying, I'm having trouble paying my bills. I- I'm-, I'm struggling to get by. That was not the case with David. He- what he is saying, though, is that cir- the circumstances of his life have created a sense of desperation and need for God, and he has hope and expectation that God will work in that. So far from thinking, oh my goodness, times are rough, I'm feeling a, a sense of desperation, God must have rejected me, he sees that as uh, the means by which God will use to draw him near, to uh, speak into his life, to deepen his character, his dependence. And so it is in that sense that we declare with Jesus, Blessed are the poor. Blessed. Uh, this, this life is blessed because it is in that that, that God can most powerfully work. It, it's similar with the next description in verse 21. It says, blessed are you who are hungry now. Now we saw last time that ministry with Jesus was, had huge demands and it often left people uh, feeling like the disciples were, were, were going without meals. They were literally hungry. And, and so that's, that's included here. Sometimes uh, the circumstances of life can lead, lead us hungering and uh, in, in need in that way, and that can point us to God. Uh, but there's also a hunger, hunger for God that you can feel when you've tasted of his goodness or when you feel a, a, a strong sense of need for him. Uh, Matthew's gospel talks, for instance, of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It, it is a desire for God, a yearning for him. I, I have tasted what God can do in my life, and I want more of it. I need more of it. I feel that sense of uh, yearning and hunger for him. And, and Jesus says, that is a sign of the blessed life. That is a sign of God's special favor upon you. Even if you would look at your circumstances or your neighbor would look at your circumstances and say, boy, that person is, is, is praying, they're reading the Bible, they're going to church, and it looks like they're just having a hard time of it. It just seems like life is so rough for them. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus says, blessed. This is a blessed life. This is the good life. This is a sign of God's favor because God is at work in that individual. He is transforming that individual. He is refining them, purifying them, drawing them near, teaching them about himself. In verse 21, Jesus says, blessed are you who weep now. Now, maybe I don't get on Instagram enough. I, I have not yet seen a picture of someone in tears crying with the, with the 
uh, hashtag blessed underneath it. it that's, that's not how we see uh, the blessed life. It's not how we see the good life. Uh, but here, uh, here the, the vision is that this is the life that Jesus can bless. This is the time when often God does most powerfully work. It hurts when you're swimming against the current. It, it hurts when you are trying to stand for your faith in a world that seems opposed to all that you believe. But when you do, it's a sign that God has favored you, that he has blessed you, that he is at work in your life. It's a sign that you're on the right track. Now, in verse 22, Jesus gives one last description of the good life, and it's the one that most of us fear the most. It says this, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spur your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, we're, we, we note that it, there is no particular blessing if people hate you because you're just really annoying. You, you, if they hate you because of you, then there, there, are no, uh, there is no extra blessing for that. But if it is because of your faith, it is because of your devotion to Jesus Christ, if it is because that you have values that are threatening to the world around you and that causes people to distance themselves from you or to cut you off, then that is a sign that you are in good company. You are standing in a line, a long line of people who have stood for God, who have sought to follow him faithfully, and have been on the receiving end of uh, people's displeasure as a result. Let's just take in this fourfold blessed picture of the good life that Jesus paints for us. He's saying that loss, yearning, tears, and rejection are descriptions. These, these are, this is the good life. This is a picture of a life that is blessed by God, because it is often in those circumstances that God most powerfully works. It is in those circumstances that we come to know him most intimately, that we come to grow in our experience ourselves. I, I, I've talked to most of you. I, I've yet to hear someone come up to me and say, Paul, things are just amazing in my life, and it's just drawing me so much nearer to God. That may happen in your life. It just Nobody's come to, t to t tell me about that. When I sit down and talk with you, it, nine times or 99 times out of 100, it is things fell apart in my life and I feel my need of God more than ever before. Things are, 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 are going terrible and I feel like I need to know God. I feel like I need his power in my life. And it is in those times, personally, those are the times when God has taught me all of my lessons. He, is, he has worked to shape me and change me and to refine me, and that's true of you too. And so it is this picture of uh, the blessed life. And if you don't see this as the blessed life, if you don't hear Jesus redefining, he's changing the, the goalposts for the game of life. He's saying, you have been all your life told, this is the blessed life. If you're rich, powerful, beautiful, and, and adored, that is the life that God must be, he must be smiling on you. You must be blessed. 
And Jesus says, no, it's actually in the opposite direction. You've, you've, you've got your vision completely turned around. It is in the difficulties, the trials, and the hurt and circumstances of life that God powerfully works to bless us, to draw us near, to change us, to shape us, and we need to live with an awareness of that. If that isn't on our radar and difficult things happen, we're, we're, we're asking, like, what are you doing, God? What, 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 what's happening in my life? I'm trying to do what's right, and things just seem to get harder. But with this vision of the blessed life, as Jesus defines it, uh, we have a, a sense of his, his working, we have a sense of his presence, we have a sense of his favor, and we have hope and anticipation of what he'll do. So that's the positive vision that Jesus paints for us of the good life. Let's look at the negative side now. Here, Jesus says, if following if following him has you rich, full, smiling, and popular, you may have actually missed the point. Comfort defines many people's entire vision for their life. I want to be comfortable, and that, that will then inform every decision they make, everything that they say, and, and it will drive the, the, really the engine of where they're headed. And Jesus is, is telling us that when we are consumed for what we want now, and that is a vision of, uh, of pure comfort and with no other uh, sense of what God might be seeking to do in and through us, it, it may be an indication where we've just missed what he is seeking to do in our lives. So uh, if following Jesus has you rich, full, smiling, and popular, you may have missed the point. Let's break that, that down and, and, again, try to understand our terms here. Jesus started with those four statements of blessed. Now he's going to give us four statements of woe. And while we blessed gets used as a hashtag quite a bit, I've, I, I don't see many uh, hashtags with, with woe in them. Uh, this is the opposite of blessed, obviously. Uh, if blessedness is a sign of God's favor, uh, woe is a warning that you are on a path of destruction. Look at the first one in verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now here, as with poor, we know that it can't be this bl blanket condemnation, an automatic uh, rejection of people with wealth, because as you look at the scriptures uh, you have uh, Job, Abraham, you have Nicodemus, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, a series of godly men who were, were people of means, people uh, who had uh, great wealth. But Jesus is describing people here who are living for their riches, who are defined by their riches, whose wealth has made them independent and feeling a sense of uh, they're not needing God, not needing anything uh, from him, uh, and self-sufficient in that sense. The mindset is described in Revelation 3.17. Here it says, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Here what he's talking about is that mindset where people can live as if there isn't a problem that money can't solve. 
Uh, people can live as if more money is the, the, the sole goal of life, the vision for their life, the thing that, that really they look to to bring pleasure, happiness, joy, and success to their life. And Jesus is saying that vision of life that is defined by wealth is a, is a sign of God's disfavor, not his blessing. It is a path that is leading to the emptiness that Brad Pitt described for us, the, uh, the, the, the sense of uh, being a path towards judgment, not a path towards fullness. So that's, that's with uh, uh, blessed are those who are, uh, you who are rich. Now we go to those who are full now. Verse 25, Jesus says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Very similar. I have to tread carefully with this particular verse because a number of us went to a buffet yesterday and it's kind of, you know, it, this, this, this could be misunderstood here. But the message is that if you are living life solely to fill it with all that this world offers, you are not on the path that Jesus is calling us to. The path of blessedness is not me trying to get all the stuff that I can to fill my life with it and thinking that that will make me happy. It is, it is a redefining of life. It is Jesus moving the goalposts again for the game of life. Some people approach their life. Some people even approach their faith only to determine what they can get out of what they can get out of it. There's no give in the take. It's all about what they can receive, not about what they can give. And and it is this accumulation of more, more, more. I want to fill, fill myself, and in that I will be satisfied. And Jesus says, no, that is not the blessed life. That is a, a, a life of disfavor, a, a life that is heading in a path that is dangerous. Now, the next warning, admittedly, is more confusing. Jesus says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now, Jesus, as you look at his ministry and teaching, told a lot of really good jokes. So uh, he was not uh, condemning laughter or jokes per se. What he is doing here is, is speaking to the person who laughs at, at the judgments of God, who laughs at God's warnings, who treats life as a joke. Someone who goes through life who, for, and, and their sole uh, uh, approach to it is to laugh things off, never to take anything, uh, particularly the things of God, very seriously. It, it, it's a statement of complacency. It's a statement of treating life as a joke. And he's saying, the day will come when you will realize it really wasn't any laughing matter. That, that there, are, there are stakes that are, that are high, that are to be seen with and treated with the seriousness that they deserve. Finally, in verse 26, there's a person who lives for, for popularity. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Again, there's nothing wrong with someone paying you a compliment. There's no, nothing wrong with someone uh, recognizing you. Jesus received plenty of, uh, of, of both of those things. He, he received plenty of, of re recognition. 
But Jesus died on a cross. He was killed at the hands of people who rejected him because he wasn't afraid to say and to do things that were unpopular. He was driven by something other than people's popularity. He, he, he said and he did the things that he did out of a sense of conviction and out of obedience to the Father, not in an order to gain a following, build a crowd, look for uh, the next step in his influence and uh, his esteem. And so he's saying, if you are on that path where pop people's approval is everything to you, where that people's acceptance drives what you say and do and how you think, then you are on a path that is, uh, is dangerous. Get off that road and turn in a different direction. Now, if we could come back to Brad Pitt again for a moment, here's the rest of his quote from the interview in Rolling Stone magazine. He says, the emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything, I know, but I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. Doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. Now, we live in a world where even the news is dominated by people who are rich, full, smiling, and popular. The movies we watch, the programs that we see, again, people who are rich, full, smiling, and popular. Even on social media, when we're not watching people who are rich, full, smiling, and popular, we're trying to be people who are rich, full, smiling, and popular. And in doing so, we either uh, sacrifice something, something uh, that is essential to us, we, we become more and more a picture of someone that we're not. And uh, Jesus warns us of this. Now, for me growing up, this was, for me to hear a sermon like this would have been extremely strange to me. I just assumed that this was the path of life. I just assumed that, of course, these were the things that everybody should aim for. Everybody should seek to, to, to uh, lay hold of. And anyone who would tell me, no, it's, uh, it's actually in the opposite direction, I would have thought, no, that's crazy. And yet, the more that I walked along that path, I found that around every corner where I thought, okay, maybe this will be it. Maybe this will lead to satisfaction. Maybe this will end in true happiness and joy. And at every corner, it just felt like there was more disappointment and more personal cost. I had to sacrifice more to get to what this world kept on uh, showing as a vision of this good life. And, and it just left me feeling more and more empty. And so we're warned of this. And yet, even in the church, it's so easy to take the world's vision of the good life, add Jesus to it, and pray that God give me all of those things that the world tells me that I need. And we are mixing a path of judgment with a God of blessing, and they're going in opposite directions. And so we are being told, listen to what Brad Pitt said. We need to toss it all. 
And listen to what Jesus said. This is not a path of blessing. It is a path of woe. It's a path of destruction. Turn and head in the opposite direction. Now, if we were to leave things here, you may have gotten a little bit of a wrong impression of what Jesus is saying. You may, have, you may at this point in, in what we have said, you may have come to the conclusion that what Jesus is saying is there's this life path that looks fun but is ultimately empty and you really shouldn't be on that one, but there's this other path that kind of looks miserable but is ultimately rewarding and that's the one that you should be on. And that's not quite the message that Jesus is giving here. And so uh, we're going to look now at our, at our final takeaway. And here it is the message, true disciples rejoice in the eternal hope of reversal. This is not saying be miserable now, but you'll be glad later. What he is saying is Jesus is promising a hope that is so great that it softens every fall it cushions every loss, and it sweetens every win. True disciples rejoice in the eternal hope of reversal. Now, if you've been here for a while, that you know that I've often said Jewish writing often would put their punchline in the middle, not at the end. And so far in this passage, as we were reading through it, you notice that there were four statements of blessing, followed by four statements of woe, And if you were watching carefully, you noticed that I skipped over something that happened in the middle. That's where the punchline is. Take a look at in verse 23. You see the one line that breaks the pattern. It says this, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, again, one of my favorite words, Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Again, let's make sure we understand what Jesus is saying saying here. What is the that day that he is referring to here? Look what comes right before it. It's the day when people hate you and exclude you for your faith. That day. It's the day when you pay the price for your faith, when you count the cost to follow Jesus. It's in that day that you are to rejoice and leap for joy. Like, we're to jump up and, and, and express excitement. Oh, this is incredible. How on earth do you rejoice in that day? The good news is not misery now, but happiness later. Jesus is inviting you to a life of joy fueled by this eternal hope. And that eternal hope can make you jump for joy. The world says you can be happy if you're rich. Jesus says you can have joy in your poverty if your hope is in heaven. The world says you can be happy if you're full. Jesus says you can be happy even when you're hungry if your hope is in a different place, if your hope is in heaven. The world says that you can be happy if your life is all smiles. Jesus says you can be happy even in your tears if your hope is in heaven. The world says you can be happy if, if you're popular enough, if you have enough influence, if people celebrate you enough. Jesus says you can be happy when you're excluded, when you're rejected. 
if your hope is in heaven. It is living on the basis of a different joy. It is placing your hope of happiness in a different place. I feel a little bit like this every year just before my birthday. Our tradition, as some of you know, uh, we, we always make Swedish pancakes for the person whose birthday it is. And for me, I, I've just kind of been trained in, in, in the sense of anticipation and hope since I was a very young child. So if, if it comes to the day before my birthday, like, you can come up to me and say something like, you know, I just hate your sermons. Can you just stop talking? You can say, you, you, you can load on the work. It can be a hard day. It's pretty difficult to make me down knowing that my family's going to wake up early and make me, break, make me pancakes in the morning. It, it just, it, it's hard to, hard to put me off my game on the day before my birthday. I, I just, the life is good if pancakes are coming in the morning. And, and that's just, I realize, you might say, Paul, that's really trivial. That's just a little thing. Yeah, it is. But, but that hope of anticipation gives me a joy that anchors me in the midst of great difficulty and whatever might hit me on that particular day. And Jesus is saying that, that, that this can happen on a grand scale, on, on, on the path of your life scale. If your hope is in eternity, if your hope is in what God is going to do, like, I don't know if Jesus has my recipe for Swedish pancakes, but he's saying your reward is great in heaven if your trust is in him and if you are walking this path out of faithfulness for his glory. Now, some of you hear that, and I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's someone who is thinking, Paul, I get the birthday thing, but life just doesn't work like that. You don't know what I'm dealing with. And I probably don't know what you're dealing with. But if you say that life doesn't work like that, the early church and those that followed them would disagree with you. Do you remember that time in Philippi when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison? They were falsely arrested. They were falsely accused. They were unjustly imprisoned. And you remember what they did? It says around midnight they were singing hymns of praise to God. And, and the prisoners were listening to them. You know why they were listening? Because this is craziness. Nobody, nobody in their right mind sings with joy in a prison at midnight when you've been falsely accused and unjustly arrested. That's what they did because their hope was not in their circumstances. Their hope was in a God who had a great reward for them. And they knew this is the blessed life that Jesus was talking about. This is an opportunity for him to work in and through us. This is where he changes us. This is where he refines us. This is where he uses us. This is where the world is watching. And it is that hope and anticipation of all that God can and will do. I don't have to just point to Paul and Silas in a prison in Philippi, though. You have shown me that. Many of you in, that are here this morning have shown me this joy. 
Many of you have testified to that joy in the midst of great pain and difficulty and loss. Uh, Yesterday, we had a memorial where we were rejoicing in the hope that had animated a person's life in the midst of great difficulty. Many of you are living the truths of this vision of a good life that Jesus points to. And for those of you who just haven't gotten in on it yet, I would just urge you to come to Jesus. You may know Jesus in a sense, you may trust him in a sense, but your life may still be pointed at this false world's vision of the good life. And you keep thinking, why doesn't Jesus fit? Where does he go? Like, why doesn't he do these things? Because I want him to do these things. And in the midst of that, he is trying to point you in a different direction, to a different a, a different basis of joy, a different means of satisfaction, and a, a path of life that God honors, that God blesses, and in which God works. And so come to him for that. Make that U-turn in your life and invite him to, to change you, to bless you, and to use you. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you care about these things. You you care about the blessed life. You care that we see it. You care that we have our eyes open to, uh, to the lie that even people who don't know you, people in our world recognize is empty, is a false hope, a false dream. Your gifts and your favor certainly aren't just for the rich, smiling, popular people. Thank you that you meet us in our need. Thank you that you satisfy our hunger. Thank you that you comfort us in our pain. Thank you that it's in the challenges and difficulties of life that we see you and experience you. We draw near to you. And so help us to embrace you in those moments. Help us to agree with Jesus in those moments. To say, here is a place of blessing. Here is the place that I seek you. And here is the place where I affirm my hope is an eternity and the great reward he has for those who follow. Do that work in our hearts, Father, we ask. In Jesus' name.